So um, I don't normally preach, as you guys would know, so um, my wife said, well, don't go too long. And so she just reminded me to tell you guys, if, if I'm still talking and you guys are done listening, just go ahead and stand up and walk that direction and I'll get the message. So this next Friday, we will celebrate 33 years of marriage together. How about that? Uh, we got married in August, August 3rd, and um, uh, six months after we got married, I was playing basketball, and I uh, went up for a rebound, and um, my best friend, unintentional, but went up with me and accidentally took out my legs, and I landed on my head. And that changed everything about our marriage. I was not, and I continued to not be the same person that uh, Christy signed up for when she said, for better or worse. So the ramifications of that, for me, are kind of living in a fog a lot of the time. Sometimes I can manage that. Sometimes I manage it through rest and hydration and exercise. But, but more often than I would like, for all of these 30-some years, um, there's, there's uh, less than I would wish to be. Less than my wife would wish that there was. And there are ramifications for that. There was a time early in our marriage when we had three young kids. And um, she said to our dearest of friends, she said, if I could leave him, I would. Because he's just not being the man that he needs to be. I often feel less than, less than I was, less than I could be. I often doubt myself. I often live with some regret and some fear. Fear, if I give into it, could absolutely consume me. And as we study Gideon today, you are going to see a very fearful, very faithless guy that God graciously, and I want to give testimony in my life, that God graciously meets me at the most desperate places of my life. So the proclamation right out of the chute is that what Satan does to try to destroy us, God allows to define us. God allows to display his glory in our brokenness. And although it's not what I signed up for, it's certainly not what my wife signed up for, I promise you, God is faithful. And so today, if that's where you're at, 
if fear or inferiority or anxiousness or regret or any number of other things, any number of other tools that Satan will just try to destroy you with, if that's where you're at, listen and be encouraged. Listen and be greatly encouraged by the Word of God. So brief history. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've been talking through this hall of fame, all these big timers. Moses was called to lead people out of the wilderness. He, he gets up until the promised land, and actually Joshua leads people into the promised land. This is what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 30. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord God will bless you. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. So we have these options. Do you want to be blessed or do you want to perish? Do you want to have abundance of life or do you want a life that just is just really less than? Do you want to serve God, or do you want to serve yourself? Do you want to pursue God, or do you want to pursue worthless idols? Here's what God's Word says. They, and he's talking about the Israelites, they pursued worthless idols, and they became worthless themselves. Is that the legacy that we want? No. No, 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 no. But for some of us, we need to really address the pursuit of some worthless idols, and we'll talk about that. When the nation of Israel entered the promised land, they needed to confront. God says you need to do battle. There were five nations inside of the Canaanite land that were just bad, idolatrous, uh, immoral um, groups of people, nations of people, and, and, and God says you need to not associate with them, you need to go conquer them, you need to be delivered from them, they are your enemies. That's the setting that we're about to step into here. So four centuries after the, uh, the Israelites had been uh, traveling around, wandering around in Egypt, before the reign of the kings, there's this 400, 350 year period Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua. And then there's this period, 350 years, before order is established. And order is established under kings. Solomon, David, King Saul, Saul, David, Solomon. But there's this 350-year period. Here's how it's described in Judges. That generation, early on, that generation, the generation that went into the promised land, originally all served, served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived them. So generation one goes into the promised land and serves the Lord. Generation two serves the Lord. But then that generation died off and another generation appeared and the next generation began to worship idols. They entered into the promised land. They didn't eradicate all the warring nations, and they became like them. We have some friends right now who have a, 
uh, a child that's um, just not walking with God, raised to walk with God, but not walking with God. I'm really concerned about the child, but more so I'm concerned about generations down the road, right? So, um, so we pray, so we pray, so we pray, so we pray. God said this, conquer the people, eliminate the idols, drive the idolatrous people out of the promised land, and Israel didn't. Consequently, living with these idolatrous, immoral, pagan people, this is what happens. This epic history of bizarre behavior, of remarkable chaos, 350 or seven generations of just beyond description, sin, bondage, crying out to God, God rescuing, God rescuing or redeeming, and they go back and do it again and again and again and again. Here's what I want to encourage us to do today. How many of us, for us, that's a cycle? Here's an example. If alcohol is an issue in your family line, if pornography is an issue in your family line, if deceit is an issue in your family line, if anxiousness is an issue in your family line. Let us trust in the Lord and let us break that. By the power of God's Spirit, let's let God break that such that generationally from now, our children or their children or their children, our great-grandchildren, might no longer be bonded up in that stuff, tied up in that stuff, but it requires us to break the bondage that might so easily entangle us this day. Here's what, uh, here's what the haunting verse out of Judges chapter 21, the very final verse in Judges 21, 25 says, it says it all. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Mark was talking about teenagers. You know how teenagers kind of know everything, right? You know? And then they grow up, and they, they realize that things aren't quite... Uh, I have a son who... Um, we were getting ready to figure out where he was going to go to school, and uh, we're driving down the road one day, and he's, a, he's really good with numbers. And so we're trying to figure out you know, finance or be an actuary or be an accountant or whatever. And so I'm just trying to help him figure out what quadrant within that numerical sphere. And, and, uh, and I said, so what do you think? And he says, well, well, I don't know for sure. He says, I just know one thing. And I said, what's that? She's 18 at the time. He says, I just don't want to do what you do. <laughs> oh, what's that? You work all the time. Hmm. Well, that's his perception, and that might partly be reality, right? Sometimes, as we'll see in just a moment here, God doesn't defend himself. And I'm not God, but I chose not to defend myself. I just let that one hang out there. 18 years old. He goes to college. Minnesota's Carlson School. He graduates on a Thursday. 
No, maybe on a Wednesday. He graduates on a Wednesday. And by God's grace, he got a job right away. He had to start the following Monday. He had two weeks of vacation. We're driving away from graduation. I'm just looking in the back seat where he's at with his girlfriend. And I'm like, you don't seem very happy. And he's like, I have to start work on Monday. (laughs) He called me about six months after he got married. He was 21, 22 years old. And he apologized. He says, I didn't understand all the weight that you carry. I didn't understand the responsibility. I didn't understand what it was like to have to pay for car insurance and pay for health insurance and pay, you know, have to go to work every day. I did not revel in that. I just took great joy in the truest sense of the word that my son was growing up, right? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So there's this pattern. Israeli pattern. Sin, God gives uh, the Israelites into the hands of the oppressors. They cry out. The Lord raises up a judge for them. Judges, the book of Judges. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Okay? Judges, we think about courtroom. We think about law. We think about um, proceedings. We think about jail. We think about fines, all that kind of stuff. Judges, in this case, um, a judge was appointed by God, not by some political spectrum or by, um, by, by any degree, but uh, the judges appointed by God, in the book of Judges, there's 14 of them, um, uh, they, they were largely, the term more accurately would be the deliverer. God used these people, Deborah, you would know that name, Samson, you would know that name, Samuel, you would know that name. God used these people, Gideon, to be a deliverer of the people out of hot water that they'd gotten themselves in. Turn to page 205, if uh, you would, in your Bibles, um, the Bibles in front of you, or Judges chapter 6, whichever you prefer. Judges chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Judges chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. So the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. Did bad, God said, okay, you want it, you can have it. You know, that's how a parent is with a teenager sometimes. You want it, you can have it. Constant terrorizing, destroying their crops, stealing their livestock, killing their people. The people, it was such a bad deal. People were hiding out in mountains and in caves. And the Midianites, the, 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 the warring nation, just kept coming against them. Wave after wave kept coming against them. And the people cried out. We won't read all of this, but let's go to chapter 6, verse 11. That's where we're introduced to Gideon. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth, that's like an oak tree, which belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, while his son, Gideon, Joash is the dad, Gideon is the son, while his son, Gideon, was beating out wheat in a wine press. So why, we'll just ask a Bible scholar, why is he beating out wheat in a wine press? We're trying to figure that one out. 
I don't know. <laughs> so he's beating out wheat. So normally you'd beat out wheat, right, in an open air place where you could pound the wheat and the wind would come along and blow the chaff away and then the wheat would, la would, would, would land on the ground and that would be your, your harvest, so to speak. But he's, he's beating out wheat in a wine press underground where you should be stomping grapes because he's hiding. He's hiding. Why is he hiding? He doesn't want the bad guys to come and get him. Remember, uh, Andrew was talking last week about um, Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why to be strong and courageous? Because it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. We see this faithful guy. We see this normal guy. We see this humble guy doing all that he can in an oppressive situation, hiding out, just doing his job. You ever just feel like, man, I'm just doing my job? Moms, you ever just feel like, will these twos and threes, will I stop changing diapers ever? I can't even go to the bathroom without these kids just, mom, mom, mom. Guys, you feel like, Man alive, I, I just, I thought I'd have a, a different career track, but they don't see how great I am, right? Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor, the withness of God. We're going to see this on more than one occasion, the Lord is with you. I'm not certain that there's anything more important in my life, the life that I described to you at the beginning of this day, than the withness of God. The with, W-I-T-H, the withness of God. And frankly, I think that the withness of God, largely in my life, comes through a relationship with my wife, with my pastor, with my friends, the witness of God. He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So this is just a normal guy hiding, a little bit fearful, hiding out. And God says, O mighty man of valor, like, O valiant warrior. He may not have been a valiant warrior yet, but God knew what he would become. Gideon says in verse 13, Gideon says to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Israel? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us to the hand of Midian. Whoop, go back to verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. Wait a minute, God, he's forsaken us. God never does anything that he, he promises. I will never forsake you. I will never forsake you. So circumstantially, he's feeling like, hey, where's, where's God in this deal? You ever feel that way? Where's God in this deal? Go back to verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. The people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midianites. Hey, if you want to fool around, good luck, you know? But if you want to be in the, in the will of God, stay straight before the Lord. And when you mess up, confess, repent, right? 
Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this your might. God doesn't even acknowledge his noise. Well, where's God in this? Well, he's forsaken me. God doesn't even acknowledge it. The Lord just says this. Go in this might, uh, this might of yours and save, deliver, he says, he says to uh, Gideon, deliver Israel into the hands of Midian. Do not I send you? Wow. How would you like to be in a cave with God? <laughs> and he says, I'm sending you. Go do what I ask. I'm like, shoot, man, if God showed up, I, I absolutely would do that, right? Well, look at what Gideon does here. And he says to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. Moses and Jeremiah, they said the exact same things. You, God, you can't use me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm less than. You know, there are so many times in my life when I'm getting out of bed in the morning and I'm just feeling like I am so scared. I just so want to go back to bed. I don't think I've got what's necessary. And I'm listening to the lies of Satan. And then I get a text from my wife, or I am disciplined enough to uh, open up God's Word and to read a promise from Him and be reminded, oh, no, 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 God is sufficient. Take courage, be not afraid, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. God, I don't know I can get through this day. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And you know what? It happens, right? You know that. Many of you know that to be the case. But so often, we, just, we fail to do what God asks us to do, to dwell, to abide in the Lord. I said it a few weeks ago when I shared, abiding in the Lord at some level means, means we need to abide with one another. We need to be in relationship with one another. Again, verse 15, he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. I am the least. And the Lord said to him, verse 16, But I will be, what's the word? With. But I will be with you, and you shall strike Midian as, uh, the Midianites as one man. So God's already foreshadowing, Trust me, I got this deal, and you're going to be shocked at how you're going to take out the Midianites. So, so, so Gideon is commissioned. And then immediately, go down to uh, verse 25, we see that God asks him to do something. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull that is seven years old. So he identifies a specific bull from his dad and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. So your dad is one of the guys who is worshiping. Your dad on his watches is worshiping a false god. Pull down the altar that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Immediately we see this. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here. Men and women of God, what are the strongholds in your life? You've got them. Food. Very convenient stronghold for me. Very convenient. 
It's not drugs. It's not porn. It's okay. It's a stronghold. A stronghold. I choose that over choosing God. What, what strongholds do you need to tear down in your lives? What stones, with stones laid in due order, take the second bowl and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the ashra that you cut down. So Gideon immediately responds by, by doing exactly what God says. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid, does fear grip you? <laughs> because he was too afraid, and the men of, the, uh, of his family, and the men of the town, how many of us are afraid of the other man, of the other woman? Fear of man. They did it by night. He's obedient, but he's fearful. Do you have fear of man? Do you have fear of uncertainty? Do you have fear of being found out? Fear of not being good enough? Fear of failure? We go on to see that the town, the, the country, uh, the, the men of the town say to his dad, hey, bring your son out. We want to kill him because he, he tore down the idol. What a foolish thought. They tore down an idol that is not even worshiping God. Crazy, 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 crazy. His dad stands up for him and says, hey, let, let Baal contend for himself. Men, you have kids, stand up for your kids. Let God take care of himself. Let false gods take care of themselves. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to move on to um, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save my land, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. He basically says to God, I got to put out a fleece. I need to know it's you. I'm going to put this fleece out. Would you please make the fleece wet, make the floor dry? In the morning when I come back, I'm going to find that the fleece is wet. I'm going to know it's you. Sure enough, God does that. He says, I'm sorry to bother you again, God, but would you please, would you please this time make the floor wet and the fleece dry so that I can know that it's you? God graciously does that. God is a God who is very, very kind, very, very merciful, and he is long-suffering. Now, I don't think that that's the way we ought to deal with our lives with God. I don't think that for a second. But the truth is, God is that kind of God, gracious enough that he even put up with the, the fear of uh, Gideon. Chapter 7, verse 2. The people who are with you are too many, God says. There's this army, that's, uh, there's this war that's needing to, to happen. A war between the Midianites and between the Israelites. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. There were 32 Israelites that gathered, 32,000 Israelites that gathered to challenge the 100 plus thousand Midianites. 32,000, so it's a three to one odds, right, at that point in the game. God says, that's too many. If somebody's afraid, send them home. 22,000 of the people returned, 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them there for you. Any one of you whom I say, the Lord shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. John Bloom, the founder of, uh, co-founder of uh, Desiring God, some of you might read him regularly, he, he recounts this incident like this. Standing on the side of Mount Gilboa, 
Gideon gazed over the valley of Jezreel, the valley of the Sea of Tents, teeming, more with, a, teeming with more than 100,000 Midian warriors. That morning, the Lord had judged that Israel, Israel's army of 32,000 was too big to face Midian's army. Israel would think more highly than they ought if they took the victory. So Gideon sent home whoever was afraid. 22,000 hit the road. Gideon had to quiet his fear. Now Israel was, it was outnumbered 10 to 1. 10,000 to 100,000. But God was with them, and the armies had overcome such odds before. Oddly, John Bloom writes, the Lord considered these odds still too much in Israel's favor, so in obedience to the Lord's instruction, Gideon brought his small, thirsty army down to the spring, and he gave his servant, Purah, the strangest command. He says, observe the men as they drink. Have every man who laps his water like a dog stand off to one side. Gideon supervised the selection, but when so few were being chosen, he just let Purah finish the count. He climbed back up on the hill of Mount Gilboa to pray and to survey. It wasn't long before Pura emerged. Gideon asks him, so what's the total? 300, sir. Gideon chuckled to himself. 300. He looked back toward the human horde in the valley and was quiet for a moment. That's less than I expected. Yes, sir, said Pura, but thankfully, 300 doesn't reduce our strength that much. Gideon breathed deeply. No, Pura, 300 aren't the reductions. They're the army. Pura stood dazed for a moment. 300 are the army? Gideon nodded slowly. Both were silent for a while. In the quiet, the Lord spoke to Gideon. He in turn said to Purah, During the Exodus, how many mighty men did it take to destroy Egypt or to part the Red Sea? None. How many men did it take to tear down the walls of Jericho? None. How many did it take to feed two million people in the wilderness every day for 40 years? None. Pura says, I get your point. Bloom concludes the article by saying, when we're confronted with an impossible situation or trial, Gideon's 300 preached to us that salvation is from the Lord. God chose those 300. They kind of they, they kind of got down and, and they, they, they didn't put all their attention on just serving themselves, but they, they were kind of a little bit cautious looking around. I want to suggest two major takeaways for today. Number one, God uses the least. He delights in using the least. Gideon was ill-prepared. Gideon was frightened. Gideon, God used Gideon, and God wants to use you. And number two, God uses those who are looking around, 
who are available. Christy and I have a friend, her name is Megan. Megan is a young mom. Megan doesn't have a lot of resources, but Megan has kids, and those kids need diapers, kids need diapers. So Megan goes to Target. And in the diaper aisle, with regularity, Megan is on the lookout. And she'll notice someone from a different country that maybe can't read the packaging or maybe isn't certain of the sizing in American sizing or whatever. And Megan will just come up and just be a friend. Do you need some help? Megan will get to the checkout counter. Megan might even pay the $8 for the diapers. But Megan will definitely take her phone and say, do you want to be a friend? And guess what? God has brought so many people to Target and so many people to Walmart that desperately need the Lord. Desperately need a friend. Megan's on the lookout. You want to be a friend? Do you want to come over? Do you want a play date? Do you want to come for lunch? Do you want to invite your husband over? Do you want to come to my community group? Do you want to come to my small group? Do you want to come to my church and mops group? And ultimately, she has an end game in mind. She wants to be in a relationship with them so that they can be in a relationship with Jesus. What are we doing when we go to Target? The 300 slay the 100,000 because God sorted it out. They didn't have to lay a hand on them. God did it all. The 100,000 are slayed. You can read the rest of the story. Gideon was the deliverer. But Gideon, men and women, Gideon was just the foretaste, just the picture of Jesus, the Deliverer, the Deliverer of all time. He will use you to point others to Him. We're about to step into communion. Communion, the taking of the elements, the bread, and the representation of the wine. The communion is our opportunity to be reminded once again that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took, he took bread and he, and he broke it and he says, this is my body freely given for you that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. John 10.10 10 says, Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And we can live there or we can live in the backside of that verse that says, steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and to give it abundantly. This is my body given for you. And after the bread had been taken, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood representation of my blood shed for you 
and for the forgiveness of your bad, for the forgiveness of your sin. Let us be found today to be a repentant people. Let us today be found to be a people that will confess before the Lord, if necessary, to clean up the messes of our lives with others and to walk into Target with a mindset that would say, how can I serve you, Lord, as the least for the lost? Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we give you so much thanks for your mercy in our lives, for your kindness in our lives, for your calling us. Many, many, many here have been called into relationship with you. And God, I'm mindful today that in a crowd this size, that that there are two or three um, who are not in relationship with you, but all the pieces are there. The only step is the final step. The step to say, God, I give you my fear. I give you my sin. I give you my anxiousness. I surrender my all. Jesus, I need you. Please come into my heart. I turn from my wicked ways. I feel this massive battle against me but I will lay it down and let you do the delivering. Please, God, I pray. So, Lord, we come before you and we we now step into this time of communion and we thank you for the gift, Jesus, that you gave of your life and we thank you for the hope that that provides. So we come both um, with a sense of solemnness and joy for... (laughs) The, the promise that we have of a relationship with you. Jesus, we pray in your holy name. Amen.